when I do translations from English to Spanish, I always end up with a third more pages because just to say a three word line in Spanish, you may use seven words to say the same thing. The interesting thing about Pedro Paramo is that it's written in such a plain and simple and economical Spanish that is outstanding. Welcome, Book Society. My guest today is Maria Amparo Escandon. She is the best-selling author of Esperanza's Box of Saints, of the Gonzalez and Daughter Trucking Company, and her most recent novel, L.A. Weather. She is a best-selling author, not just according to me, but according to a little outfit called the New York Times and another little outfit called the L.A. Times and every other outfit that tracks books. Her book, L.A. Weather, has been selected for Reese's Book Club. Other novels of hers have been selected in Oprah's Book Club. Her work has been named a Barnes & Noble Best Book of the Month. And she is the founder of a production company, The Other Truth Production Company, which produces movies and gets stories from the page to the screen. So in other words, she is just another in our series of BALs, Badass Latinas. So <laughs> we're happy to have you, Maria Amparo. Welcome. And the book she chose today was Pedro Paramo by Juan Rulfo. It's very short. It's almost a novella, but it's a novel published in 1955 when Rufo was a little bit old for a novelist. He was already 40, and this was the only novel he ever published. I've done some research on it. I've read it. I found it kind of baffling. It's a trip. It's only about 120 pages. This is another one that I would recommend readers go ahead and read it. It's really amazing, and you might enjoy it more if you just read it cold. Sometimes I tell people to stop the episode, read the book, and come back. And I think this might be one of those times, but you'll also probably really love it if you just listen to the episode first. So Maria Amparo, why did you choose this book? Well, before we get into that, I want to thank you, Lucas, for the invitation. This is really, really quite a privilege. And I'm so excited to be talking to you and to your listeners and to discuss one of my favorite books of all time. It's just like you say, it's a trip. This book was actually a game changer in terms of Latin American literature. Actually, Gabriel Garcia Marquez was stuck with his writing. And after he read this book, he all of a sudden started to get the juice going and wrote 100 Years of Solitude. Garcia Marquez had this book memorized. Yes. And so they say, yes. <laughs> what happened with Juan Rulfo, who is the author of this book, Juan Rulfo was just a government employee pushing paper in his little desk at the INI, which is the National Indigenous Institute. That's how I would translate it, Instituto Nacional Indigenista. And he worked there forever, all his life. He was a mid-range government employee. But he wrote this book. At the beginning, it didn't do very well in sales, but then it started to pick up. It took a while, but eventually became one of the big, if not the biggest literary piece in Mexican literature. He never wrote again. And when asked why didn't he write another novel, he said, because I made a mistake of writing my best work first. I think that that is a truth for many people. 
you hear the one hit wonder <laughs> people who all of a sudden write something incredible or song or anything and they freeze they freeze because now there are so many expectations and i'm sorry that that happened because really really he was a master in writing you have your whole life to write your first book and then if it's a success you have a year to write your second book in music that's known as the sophomore slump it happens to bands where they spend years touring and playing as a band and they release their first album and then they're expected to replicate the magic again in six more months. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I wonder if Juan Rodolfo would have written more great stuff. I guess we'll never know. We'll never know. We'll never know. But I cherish this one book. I've read it several times. I was so happy that we were going to go and talk about it today because there's just so much to say about it. I had not heard of this book when you recommended it. And my mom and some of the other Latina writers in my world were like, oh, yeah, of course, that's one of the great books. But it's impossible to overstate the importance of this book in Latin American literature in the 20th century. I would say it's probably not popular in the States. I'd never heard of it. Maybe I'm the only one. But it's a big deal of a book. And you can tell it influenced Garcia Marquez's generation. He's not the author who started magic realism. There have been other magic realist writers in Uruguay, in Argentina, in other parts of Latin America. But in Mexico, you could say that he's the one who started this genre, magic realism. Now, for those who are listening, who want to have a better explanation for what is magic realism is... I'm going to do a comparison to make it easy. So you have fantasy literature and you have magic realism. So fantasy is more like Harry Potter, where an extraordinary world has its own logic. It's a world that is made up where real people live in there, real and imagined. Magic realism is different. Magic realism is an ordinary world the world we actually live in, but where extraordinary things happen. So things like everybody's dead and they're all talking from grave to grave. Yes, there are dead people in the world. Yes, there are cemeteries and yes, there are graves. But the fact that the dead are talking one to another from grave to grave is extraordinary. It's not real. But the catch is the characters take it in a very matter-of-fact way. For them, it's normal. It's business as usual. And that's the magic that happens in the realism of a real setting. This book is a clear example of magic realism in that respect. When I read magical realist novels, I think of Garcia Marquez or Borges. Borges is not a novelist, but short storyist. I often feel like I don't really know what happened, but I got something out of reading about it. In A Hundred Years of Solitude, I still don't really know what is going on with all those people in the middle of the jungle doing whatever they're doing. But it's an amazing book and it's an amazing read. And I felt the same way in this book that I was very confused. The other thing is I read an English translation of this book because I couldn't read it in Spanish. My Spanish isn't good enough to make any sense of it. I tried, but it was... Uh, disaster. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> But yeah, so it starts with this first person narrative and then shifts into a third person narrative where 
we're in a different time. I had to go back and reread some sections after I'd read the whole thing because there are things that only make sense once you've gotten to the end. At the very beginning, when Juan Preciado meets a woman, he describes her as she looks just like a human woman, which I thought well, that's an odd description of a person. But <laughs> later you realize that it's because she's dead. Yes. So. <laughs> what I wanted to convey to you and to the readers is I want to give the most brief description of this book in one sentence. And then we're going to take it from there. So I'm going to use a quote from Guillermo del Toro, the horror movies filmmaker, the Mexican filmmaker who I love. He said the following, a ghost is nothing but unfinished business. So this book is about that. You have Juan Preciado traveling to Comala because his mother told him, you have to go to Comala, you have to meet your father and demand what is ours. So his goal is to go meet his father. Unfulfilled business. Pedro Paramo, all he wanted ever in life was to marry Susana. So Susana San Juan is the love of his life. And all his life, he's married other women. He's had other women, but he never had her. And when he finally marries her, she dies. An unfulfilled dream. And then he dies. <laughs> so this is a story of a town that dies with unfulfilled dreams, that dies with unfinished business. And so everybody becomes a ghost and everybody's dead. They go about their lives pining for what they couldn't have, for what they couldn't accomplish, who they couldn't marry, who they couldn't kill. One of the things that I love about magic realism and in particular about this novel is that the author, Juan Rulfo, has absolutely no respect for chronology, no respect for what is the real world and the underworld. He can tell you in a page, he can go back and forth from the past and the present very quickly. And you have to figure out because there's no notes or it doesn't go into italics once it's in the past or any of that. The text continues and you have to figure out now they're talking in the past. Yeah, it's totally indiscriminate in the way that it goes between tenses and genres. Like I said, this book was baffling to me. So I did some reading and looked at some scholarship of it, which I don't usually have to do. Usually I can come up with a clever thing to say about a book. But this one, I just finished it. And I was like, I don't know what I just read. So <laughs> some of the scholarship that I read was that Rulfo's goal was to put you, the reader, at the center of the action. And by disorienting the story in such a way, because I found myself looking through the book, trying to figure out, okay, who is the center of this narrative. Okay, well, this priest, he's always here. Maybe the priest is the person who's causing all this to happen. Or maybe it's Pedro Paramo, but it's obviously not Pedro Paramo, because there's large stretches of the book where he is not mentioned at all. And maybe it's this first person narrator who is Juan Peracido, who we meet in the beginning, but he dies halfway through the book. And I realized that the thread in this book is you reading it. It's like you're wandering around this town, talking to all these people and meeting all these people. And it's as confusing for you, the reader, as it would be for you, the person 
if you actually walked into a town full of ghosts. Yeah, it's a bit psychotic. Yes, you have Juan Preciado is the original narrator who is a son of Pedro Paramo, who is the one who arrives in Comala and finds that everybody's dead and eventually he dies too. So he's not the hero. He's not the main character because he dies. <laughs> but that doesn't matter because he's going to continue in the novel. It's not like he's dead and gone. No, he's dead and now he is a character in the dead form. And then the one who takes over the narration is Orotea, who is a crazy woman who is also dead. <laughs> but this is a pretty wacky. <laughs> Bear with us, please, listener. <laughs> yes, it's fantastic. I really think it's fantastic. The characters are incredible. Pedro Paramo himself, he was a mandamas, sort of a patriarch of the town. He called the shots, which happened a lot in Mexico. This was the early 1900s, and he places the novel at the very beginning of the revolution, the Mexican Revolution, which started in 1910 and it ended in 1917. So you can imagine the kind of town. There's no cell phones or any of that. It's just a very sleepy, dead town, which happens to be in the path of the revolutionaries. And so Pedro Paramo needs to protect the town from the revolutionaries. So he cuts deals with them. You can tell by these stories that he is the lifeblood of this town. And so when Susana the love of his life, dies, the town doesn't really pay much attention and they have a big party and the church bells sing and he goes berserk. He says, I'm not going to protect you anymore. In fact, I'm not going to have crops. I'm not going to bring business. I'm not going to do anything. And the town dies. The town dies, literally. Everybody dies. Let me just explain how the book is structured, which is, in 70 fragments. They're not chapters. They're organized however Juan Rulfo thought he would organize them. Sometimes one fragment goes from one to another. It tells the exact same story with no break. Sometimes you go from one fragment to another and you're in a different time. The longest fragment is nine or 10 pages and the shortest one is just a couple of lines. It's really interesting the way that that's done. I picked a page that I want to read because I think it's a good idea to listen to this voice of this author who is fantastic. If you have the book with you and follow, it's page four. When we get introduced to Juan Preciado and Abundio. It was during the dog days, the season when the August wind blows hot, venomous with the rotten stench of saponaria blossoms. The road rose and fell. It rises or falls depending on whether you're coming or going. If you're leaving, it's uphill, but as you arrive, it's downhill. See how he went from past to present? That's because he's listening to the voice of his mother describe the road. What did you say that town down there is called? Comala, senor. You're sure that's Comala? I'm sure, senor. It's a sorry looking place. What happened to it? It's the times, senor. I had expected to see the town of my mother's memories, of her nostalgia, nostalgia lays with sighs. She had lived her lifetime sighing about Comala, about going back, but she never had. Now I had come in her place. I was seeing things through her eyes as she had seen them. 
she had given me her eyes to see. Just as you pass the gate of Los Colimotes, there's a beautiful view of a green plain tinged with the yellow of ripe corn. From there, you can see Comala turning the earth white and lighting it at night. Her voice was secret, muffled as if she were talking to herself, mother. And why are you going to Comala, if you don't mind my asking, I heard the man say. I've come to see my father, I replied. Huh, he said, and again silence. We were making our way down the hill to the clip-clop of the burro's hooves. Their sleepy eyes were bulging from the August heat. You're going to get some welcome. Again, I heard the voice of the man walking at my side. They'll be happy to see someone after all the years no one's come this way. After a while, he added, whoever you are, they'll be glad to see you. In the shimmering sunlight, the plain was a transparent lake dissolving in mists that veiled the gray horizon. Further in the distance, a range of mountains, and further still, faint remoteness. And what does your father look like, if you don't mind my asking? I never knew him, I told the man. I only know his name is Pedro Paramo. Huh, that's so. Yes, at least that was the name I was told. Yet again, I heard the burro's drivers. Hmm. I had run into him at the crossroads called Los Encuentros. I had been waiting there, and finally, this man had appeared. Where are you going? I asked. So now he's back at when he meets the man. Yeah. <laughs> See, instead of going chronologically, first I met the man, then we started walking down the road. Is You meet him when they're already walking down the road, and then you go back to when he meets the man. So where are you going? I asked. Down that way, senor. Do you know a place called Comala? That's the very way I'm going. So I followed him. I walked along behind, trying to keep up with him until he seemed to remember I was following and slowed down a little. After that, we walked side by side, so close our shoulders were nearly touching. Pedro Param was my father too, he said. A flock of crows swept across the empty sky, shrilling, cow, cow, cow. You can hear the hypnoticness of the prose. It really draws you in. At least that's how I felt about it. And then this is the very beginning. I remember reading this part thinking, oh, this is going to be about this guy and his new friend. And they're going to walk through and find out all sorts of information about Pedro Paramo. And it's going to be great. And then the very next scene, he's in some weird basement. Susan Sontag did the forward in the edition that I have, and she says that this story has an already told quality to it. And that's how I felt reading it. It feels kind of like a fairy tale and like it's already happened and that you've sort of heard it before, but it's definitely new. You've read this book in Spanish and English. Yes. Let's just talk about translation for a minute. What is it like to read it in Spanish? What is it like to read it in English? Have you noticed any differences? Do you lose anything? Do you gain anything? No, I think it's very well translated. And I would encourage if English is your preferred language to read it in English because it really does a good job of translation. When you read it in Spanish, it's really fascinating because Spanish is a very flowery language. I always compare English as the language of email. You know, you go from point A to point B. You're very direct. But Spanish, we... Come and go, come and go, come and go. It's very interesting. I mean, when I do translations from English to Spanish, I always end up with a third more pages. Because just to say, 
a three-word line, in Spanish, you may use seven words to say the same thing. The interesting thing about Pedro Paramo is that it's written in such a plain and simple and economical Spanish that is outstanding because we tend to overwrite, to write too much. And here is so economic, it's incredible. You don't know this, but my Spanish is pretty bad, but I've actually been taking classes. So I'm trying to get better. The thing that always confused me in high school was I thought I wasn't learning the real language because I was like, how can it take 10 words to say this one thing? And I realized that there are some things that just take longer to say in Spanish. That just is what it is. And I want to try to directly translate them from English, but the direct translation doesn't mean anything. So yeah, now that I've settled into that, it's actually opened up the language for me a little bit. When did you first read this book? I was in school. I was a teenager in high school. It was a mandatory reading. Obviously, the teacher was really bad. And the kids at that age, you couldn't care less. <laughs> it really got me interested, but I couldn't understand a lot of the book. I really wasn't getting it. And I had to read it a few times more over my lifetime as I was growing up to really get it. There are still very mysterious things going on there that I still don't get. Yeah, it definitely rewards scrutiny. The more I learned about this book, the deeper it was and the more interesting it was. And I think it really does reward that kind of scrutiny. So thank you for recommending it. It's fantastic. I think everyone should read it. I don't know if it's possible to really do it justice in this forum, because it's such a unique piece of art that it really wants to be experienced. I think that listeners who read it and then listen to our conversation about it will probably be laughing all the way through. So <laughs> I hope so. So this is a little inside joke for people who want to read this book. But we're going to be back with Maria Amparo next week, and we're going to talk about her book, L.A. Weather. The best way to find out about Book Society is to go to the Book Society website, booksocietypod.com. Get on the mailing list. I'm going to send out a newsletter. Next week for us is right now. So here we are. It's been a week. How was your week? <laughs> I just sat here the whole time. <laughs> right as you see me. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.